And so now, hear our scripture. Hear the word of God from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you shall perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. You know, one of my favorite stories growing up as a child was this story um, called The Secret Garden. Anybody ever read The Secret Garden or seen the movie A Secret Garden? It's a wonderful, sweet story. It was actually written back in 1911, I learned. I didn't realize it was that old. By a woman named Frances Burnett. In this story, it's the story of a 10-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. The 10-year-old girl had suffered great tragedy in her early life, and she had to move from India to England to move in with an uncle there. Um, there, she discovered a little boy who also had a very difficult childhood in his first 10 years of life. And the two of them... Life hadn't gone their way, and they found they were very angry and bitter about the things that had happened to them. They lived in a large home, and there were lots of gardens in uh, the land that they lived in. And they decided to take their frustrations out on a dying little garden. Now, this dying little garden was, of course, one they were told not to go into, but I think that made it all the more enticing for them and their frustration to go into this garden. So they went in. And they decided to use their uh, frustration and till on that soil, and they did. They worked in that garden. They cleared away the brush. They planted the seeds. They dug in the dirt. A little while later, they decided they could trust one of the gardeners in town, so they enlisted his help to figure out exactly what they needed to plant where and what they ought to do. And they discovered something very interesting. As they worked in this garden, as they planted, and as they watched the life begin to come back in these plants, so too did life begin to come back in their lives. 
They began to laugh again. They began to play again. They found new friends, and they even were healed. And some of their relationships were healed too. It's a beautiful little story. And the truth of it is these children had to learn very early in their life that we live in a world that we can't control. We can't control nature. We can't control political or corporate systems. And we even can't control each other. And in the end, like it or not, things won't always work out our way. And at times, even suffering occurs. We all know this too well, too. Whether we've seen it in others or we've learned it for ourselves firsthand. The truth is, whether the suffering we experience is something we see in another or we experience it, it's hard for us to make sense of it, isn't it? I mean, we oftentimes find ourselves questioning why. We can even see ourselves trying to cast blame to try to figure it out and pointing the finger. We actually see a little bit of that in our scripture reading today. We have people and they are noticing that there is evil and suffering that's happening around them and they're, and they're trying to make sense of it. They're uncertain what they're supposed to do with this suffering that they're witnessing. It was a difficult text as we started to work with it, and as we dug in deeper, we noticed a few things, so I thought I'd share them with you today. I mean, as these people were noticing the suffering that was around them, they noticed that in the first example, people were being harmed by political violence. And in the second example, we had people suffering when a building collapsed around them. And in both cases, they are going to Jesus and they're asking, why did this happen? They ask, why did this happen? Is it because of their sin? I mean, they're asking, is there some way in which they deserved what was happening? But Jesus is pretty clear in this text. In both cases, he says, no, no. It wasn't because of their sin and they didn't deserve what happened to them. You see, here in this cause and effect line of questioning, Jesus is clear that not all suffering is explained by our choices. He then goes on and says, no, I tell you, repent. Or as the message put it, not at all, I tell you, for unless you turn to God, you too will die. As McGray and I were working on it this week, McGray noticed what Jesus said is really important and profound in this way. He said, our suffering is not always caused by our choices, but our suffering always causes us to make a choice. I mean, think about it. In other words, suffering happens to the best of us, right? But the chief question Jesus is asking here is, what are you going to do with that suffering? And could it be used, maybe at some point, to help another? Now, before I go too far, I want to say this. First, I don't believe that God ever causes evil or suffering. I just don't believe that. But what I do believe is I believe God is with us always in the midst of it. You know, the truth is we can't control the moments in life that are choices made by other people. 
but we can control our own lives. We can tend to the gardens of our own lives, you might say, which takes me to the parable that Jesus immediately uses to illustrate his point on this question. In this parable, the scene is a very familiar one, not just to landowners, but I think to anybody who's ever had a vegetable garden or a flower garden. Because sooner or later, you realize you've got to uproot those plants or trees that aren't bearing fruit to make room for the others. But here in our story today, we have this fig tree. And it's alive, but it's not bearing any fruit. And the land water, landowner is walking around, the gardener is there, and the landowner notices it. And he says to the gardener, okay, it's time, get rid of this tree, no fruit. But the gardener protests. He asks for one more year. Give me one more year, he says, to tend to this tree. He says he'll loosen the soil, he'll put manure around it, and then if it doesn't respond, well, then the gardener agrees, I'll go ahead and, and, and cut it down. And as I read this text, I noticed a few things about this gardener. First off, I noticed how partial this gardener was to this barren tree. I mean, this gardener noticed that this tree was alive. It might not have been barren fruit, but it was still alive. And he wasn't ready to give up on this tree. The second thing I noticed about this parable and this gardener was that this gardener was willing to get his hands dirty, loosen up the soil, spread the manure around, do what he could to fertilize that plant and give it every best chance it could to thrive. And then the gardener trusted that the nutrients that would be produced from the manure of the Soil would then produce fruit. I realized as I looked at this parable this week that sometimes there's some interpreters that like to assume that the landowner is God and then Jesus is the gardener, somehow finding God making the one angry to tear down the tree and Jesus, the merciful Jesus. But when you think about Luke's gospel, God's not portrayed that way. I mean, God is the one who's like the father who's on the horizon waiting for the wayward son to come home. Or like the woman who is um, lost a coin and sweeps her entire house until she finds it and then throws a party to celebrate. Everything that was lost is now found. And given that picture of God, I like how one writer describes this parable. He said this, I wonder if we wouldn't do better to imagine that God is seen as the peculiar gardener. You know, the one that's so partial to that unyielding fig tree. For God, that is, isn't beneath loosening the soil around all of us, spreading the manure in the hope that we might bear fruit. And why? Because God loves us. And wants the best for us. Richard Rohr said this. He said, you can do two things when it comes to suffering. He said, you can transmit it or you can have God transform it. You see, we can perpetuate suffering by inflicting it on others. We've seen that all too well. 
but we can also invite God to transform it in order to heal ourselves so that we might help others. I stumbled upon this story um, this last week as I was working on the message. And it was a story about this husband and wife who had suffered a great tragedy back in 2002. They had been in a car accident, and it had left the wife, Kim, partially paralyzed for the rest of her life. The whole accident was tragic for them and the family, but it, they said that it gave them something that they treasure today, and that's a deeper relationship with God. It gave them a new perspective on their experience, and they wrote about it in a book called Shattered, Shaken, and Stirred. And listen to what they said about their experience. They said God didn't want us to suffer. But God allowed the circumstances and enabled us to further rely and depend and lean on him. It allowed us to be closer to God. And we prayed for God to perform miracles, and what he gave us was his fellowship. We entered, he entered into our lives and stayed with us. The comfort and assurance of God's fellowship was greater than any miracle we could have ever imagined. For we were once wayward travelers, not even knowing we were lost. But we got transformed into the beacon for other travelers. This was possible because of God, how God made us all. For whatever pain or anguish our bodies and minds have experienced seems eclipsed by now the gratitudes in our heart for the God who loves us. You know, I wonder if the invitation for us today is maybe we would look at how we might trust God despite the suffering that we see in the world and ask God to to transform our hearts, fertilize our lives in such a way that we might grow and be healed and maybe even serve others. Barbara Brown Taylor said this in her book, A God in Pain. She says, we would prefer a God who prevents suffering, only that's not the God we've got. What the cross teaches us is that God's power is not the power to force human choice and end pain. It is instead the power to pick up the shattered pieces and make something holy of them, not just from a distance, but right up close. Gosh, I got to thinking about that. And I thought, God does have the power. God has the power to pick up those shattered pieces of our lives and the power to make something holy out of it. I mean, getting unstuck from evil or suffering isn't easy business. And let's be honest, it can feel like the manure in our life just stinks, right? I mean, do you all have been there? And it takes some time to work through some of the that we see in the world and in our lives. But here in this passage, I am reminded that God can take that stinking manure and those shattered pieces of a human life and God can fertilize our lives and make it holy from it. And I know this because I've seen it in so many of you. 
I've seen it in the ways in which you've experienced struggles, challenges, tragedies, hardship. I've seen it in people who've lost jobs. Experience the pain of what that's like and what they go through to then turn around and be a source of encouragement for another. I've seen it in students, children or youth when they're bullied at school, how now they say they can stand up for a friend when it's happening to them because they know what it feels like or they can shut down the gossip when they find somebody picking on their friend. And I've also seen it people this week when they were working on the love meals over in the kitchen. A group of volunteers gather together and they prepare meals. They get sent out to folks who are ill and suffering or for those who've lost someone to death recently. And as they're working in this kitchen, they're also remembering the shattered pieces of their lives and how God has made it holy. And I watched it lived out as they put the stickers on the top of the lid. Very simple task. But what I came to learn is as they do that, they pray over each one of those plastic containers for the family whose life is in need of healing and God's comfort. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, and persevere in prayer. That's what I witnessed when I thought of all of these stories, and I wondered, maybe God is inviting us this Lent not to be daunted by the headlines, but rather to wake us up to wake us up and look for the good that is at work in this world right in front of us. And I was reminded of what the commentary said this week, that God's always ready to dig around the roots of our own lives, to spread the manure, all in hope that we might blossom and bear fruit. So what about you? Is there some shattered piece of your life that God might just want to make holy? And is there a loss or a grief or a pain that God might want to show you the beauty and the strength that lives within you? During this Lent, there might even be a way in which you recognize that you're holding on to something like resentment or fear, something that is blocking the nutrients from you producing the fruit that's meant for you to produce. And so maybe the invitation is to forgive or to let go. You know, I don't know if there's ever going to be good reasons for why bad things happen to good people or even not so good people. Jesus doesn't seem to tell us that, and neither can we. But the thing is, what I've come to realize is that sometimes misfortunes happen. Sometimes they are of our own making. But oftentimes they're not. Oftentimes they're just tragically unfortunate. But in this passage we see the son of an all-loving God who is not beneath such occasion to invite us to wake up. And in this case, as he says, turn around, repent, so that we might look differently at this world and even our lives. For Jesus isn't beneath taking those daily news stories of ours and jarring us to recognize that this life is a gift. 
And there is much good that we all still can do with that gift. And so I wonder, which may be the prayer for us all this week, is may we allow God to fertilize the roots of our hearts and to transform the shattered pieces of our lives. And maybe we'll get to see how God can make it holy. I invite you now to join me as we close in prayer and spend a moment in silence listening to the way in which God might be at work in your life this next week. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we give you thanks for your love that is always with us. We give you thanks for your forgiveness that is always available to each of us. Empower us to follow the example that you set before us, that we might both forgive others and seek forgiveness for ourselves. Help us to participate in your work in this world, to reconcile it all to your love. Remind us daily that we are your beloved, that you are there ready to fertilize the roots of our hearts and to transform any shattered pieces, all to make it holy. Lord, we give you thanks for who you are and the reminder that you shall never cease to hold us all in the palm of your hand. Amen.